0: So two twenty-eight through three ten 10, John. Let's hear God's word together. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame as he is at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, bless us now uh, through the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit, uh, so that we might behold wonderful things in this your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are a parent here today, or really if you are a child here today, which is all of us. Uh, then you know uh, that your children and that yourself, you are a product, for better or for worse, of the parenting that you received uh, from those who raised you. Uh, now, this is easy to see when our kids are young. They, they act like us. Uh, they dress like us. And usually at the most inopportune times, usually during the children's sermon, they talk like us. Uh, they pick up on the things that we say. They are, uh, at that age, little sponges uh, soaking up uh, all that they see, all that they hear. And so we'll say things like, oh, uh, that kid is, is just like his dad. Or we'll say, you know, she got that from, from her mom. Her mom acts just like that. And again... Uh, we can weigh the, the relative uh, goodness or badness of those things. Now again, that's easy to recognize when our children are younger, but the, the reality is, is that it holds true for all of us, See, even as we grow into adulthood, uh, even as we make it later on into the, the later stages of life. You know, how many of us have found ourselves doing things saying things, maybe things we swore we would never say, just like our parents. Now, uh, and I'm not just saying this because my mom is here right now, but I am thankful uh, that I had good parents to imitate. uh, And there are times where I find myself uh, imitating them even without thinking about it. Uh, The parenting terms that I use, my outlook on life, even the things that I have grown to love, I see all of that. Uh, in my mom and dad. Now look, I recognize that for some of you, you may have spent the great majority of your life trying not to be like your parents. And that's okay, we're going to get to that. But the, the point that I'm trying to make, it still holds. Whether you wanted to be like your parents or whether you didn't, the simple fact is, is either way you have been shaped by who they were. You have been shaped by their teachings, by by their uh, lack of teaching, by their love, by their lack of love. Whatever it was, it has molded your life for a lifetime. We are, whether we like it or not, children of our mother. We are children of our father. Well, as we turn to our passage today, thankfully, and I say that no matter whether your parents were good or bad, thankfully we are reminded that in Christ, the core of our identity rests not in an earthly mother, not in an earthly father, but our identity rests in a heavenly father. He who made heaven and earth, he is our father. Chapter 3 and in verse 1, see what kind of love the father has for us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. As Christians, we have the exclusive right. And hear me when I say that. We have the exclusive right. We are the only ones in all the earth who have the right in Jesus to call God Father. We are his children. And as such, what I want us to see today is Just like with our earthly parents, because he is our heavenly father, our lives have been shaped. They are shaped and they will continue always be shaped and molded and transformed by this relationship that we have with him. You know, just like an earthly father shapes his children so that they inevitably become like him in a more profound way, in a more significant way. A foundational way God is shaping he is molding his children into the image of his son we are as Christians as our title suggests children of our heavenly father and what I want us to see this morning are three attributes of God uh, three ways those attributes are shaping us that they are molding us into who he would have us to be And those attributes are, they are love, they are righteousness, and they are faithfulness. So love, righteousness, and faithfulness. So let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice here is as children of God, we have been shaped by his love. Now look, that that makes all the sense in the world, and you knew that before I said it, But think about it, the the most basic thing that that children want, the most basic thing that they need from their parents is the knowledge, the evidence, the reality, the assurance that they are loved. You know, I, I would go so far as to say that as parents, we can get a lot of things wrong. And frankly, I see this in my own life, we do get a lot of things wrong. But if we love our children well, and by that I mean if we love them as the Bible has called us to love them, then that love will cover a whole multitude of mistakes, a whole multitude of sins. It will shape them maybe more than anything else. Now, if that's true for earthly parents who do mess up more times than we would care to admit... How much more true is that for a God whose love is perfect? A God whose love is never-ending? A God who, again, has lavished it upon us? That, that's, that's John's emphasis there in 3.1. You know, my, my translation, the ESV translation says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. And that's right, that's a good translation But we could also translate that word see as behold. Like there is an exclamation here. He is, he is, uh, he's kind of got some Baptist in him right here. Like he's really excited about what he's trying to say to you. This is an emphasis that he's trying to make. He wants you to see how great the Father's love is for you. It's a statement of wonder of how high And how wide and how deep that love truly is. And what I want you to notice here is that love, it it is demonstrated to us in at least three ways. It's a love that, that has been displayed in the fact that God has chosen us. Now, I recognize that as a Presbyterian and as a Reformed believer, when I say that word, people kind of pull back. They don't like to, they kind of wrestle with what that exactly means. But friends, all I want you to recognize today, because we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of it, is just remember, we are not God's children by right. We are not God's children by birth. No, we like our father Adam, whose guilt we all come into the world bearing, we are by birth His enemies. We are by birth opposed to him, by birth in rebellion against him. We have no claim to sonship. Nothing that would make us appealing to And You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 7, as, as Moses is once again laying out all of the requirements of the law before the people, before they go into the promised land, he says in Deuteronomy 7, God says, I didn't choose you because you were the most numerous in the world. I didn't choose you because you were the best or the most attractive. No, they were none of those things. They were the smallest. They were, the most un- they were slaves in Egypt. But he said, I chose you out of my good grace, out of my good mercy, simply because I loved you. I lavished it upon you. To use the, the biblical term, the theological term, he has adopted us there on the top of your bulletin in Galatians chapter 4 says but when the fullness of time had come <clears throat> God sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that meet, we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart crying have a father you know, we've been blessed over the last few years to be able to, to have some uh, baptisms of children who have been adopted into families. And look, all, all baptisms are special because they're a reminder to us of what God has done. They're a reminder to us of his promises that, that he has made. But those particularly, they're special because they point us to this reality. They point us to the Gospel message, those parents who brought those children who have adopted them they didn 't they didn't have to choose those children they didn 't have to take them in that child he had no right or he or she had no right or claim to the family name, and yet in love, those parents that they chose to take this child in, they chose to say legally and otherwise, this is my son and daughter to give them the right to to look at them and say dad or mom they chose to be a parent to this child friends can you believe this morning can you believe it that God has done that for you that he has done that for me in Christ can you believe he would choose to love you with all your junk with all mine with all my sin? As your father, that's exactly what he's done. He's chosen you. He loves you. So it's a love displayed in the fact that he chose us. It's also a love displayed in the fact that he has forgiven us. And look, I'm kind of working through all of John's book here to to get us here, but it's there in our passage as well. But you know, it would have been one thing if he had just chosen us and said You know, this is, I'll choose you, but this is conditioned on you getting your act together. You have sort of this probationary period where you can prove yourself to me. And if you really show how sorry you are, if you really show true repentance, then maybe, maybe at the end of that period, maybe I'll go ahead and make the adoption complete. Maybe I'll go ahead and take you in. Now look, God certainly had every right to require that sort of thing. He could have done it. The problem is, is if he had done it, none of us, not me, not you, not Paul, not Peter, none of us would have made it through. None of us would have made it to the end of the probationary period. There is not enough we can do to earn his forgiveness. Nothing we can do to merit it. Uh, you know, we sing that great hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. He says, it, the, the hymn says in verse two, or in verse three, nothing, no, verse two, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. And here's what the point I'm getting to. Could my zeal, no respite, no, could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone the point is, is is we could cry we could do everything that we could for the rest of eternity and it would not be enough to merit God's forgiveness and so if he is to do that then he must do it out of his mercy and out of his grace not only that but he must make a way for that forgiveness to be possible and of course it's there that we truly Uh, run up against the the magnitude of the love of God. There, he, he gave his son again in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, in Galatians 5, in the fullness of time, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To do what? To redeem those who were under the law. Jesus came. God so loved the world that he sent his son He has shown us his love in his son broken, in his son bloodied on the cross, in his son truly dead in a tomb, separated from the Father for the first time in his life. And so I say to you again, behold, the love the Father has given to us. It's a love that has chosen us. It's a love that has forgiven us. And then thirdly, it's a love that makes us heirs with our elder brother, the rightful heir, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, again, it would have been one thing if he would have chosen us and forgiven us and then made us servants or then made us pals. You know, hey, this is my friend. It would have been one thing if he had done that. Or even if he had given us the opportunity just to to be with him, to be in his presence. He's done so much more than that. He's made us children. Uh, many of you know that our middle school kids, uh, they particip- some of them participated in the, the middle school play last week, and it was the play Annie, and they all did a great job, and it was a great production. But if you know Annie, uh, then you know it's about a little girl who was an orphan, and she uh, is called into this home of Oliver Warbucks. And there's a great scene in the play where she walks into his house, and she says, is this a train station? It's so extravagant. It's so much more than she's ever seen. She can't believe that somebody would live like this, that somebody would have these sorts of things. And she's standing there, and the the secretary, whose name slips my mind right now, but she asks, she said, well, Annie, what do you want to do? And she immediately kneels down, and she starts scrubbing the floor. She said, I think I'll scrub the floor first, and then I'll do the drapes, or I'll wash, whatever. And they said, no, 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 you don't have to do that anymore. No, you are our guest. Eventually, she becomes his daughter. Friends, that's a picture of the gospel. We should show up and say, Lord, I'm going to scrub the floors, or I'm going to do the blinds. I'm going to wash the sheets. Again, the prodigal son, he comes back right? And he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. That's all of us. And what does the father say? Bring the ring, bring the best clothes, kill the fattened That's have a party. That's our story. We don't deserve to be children. We deserve to be servants. We deserve to be slaves. And yet he calls us in. He makes us his children. He makes us heirs with God. He gives us what is rightfully Christ and blesses us beyond measure. Now, one last time, I'll say to you, behold, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. He has chosen us. He has forgiven us. He has made us co-heirs with Christ. And here's the the, the big picture point. That sort of love, it, it cannot fail to shape us. It cannot fail to mold us to change our entire outlook on the world and on life. You know, I begin this point by saying that love is what all children desire from their parents. What we all here today really desire. And I said that knowing full well that some of you may have never experienced that sort of love from your parents. Here's the good news. There is a better love than earthly parent love, no matter how good it was. It is the love of an eternal heavenly father, a love that he lavishes freely upon his children in and through Christ. If you're here today and and the love that you're experiencing from your parent, uh, from your spouse, from your friends, if, if it's not what it should be, and take heart that there is a greater love, a deeper love, a more satisfying love available to you. Look to Jesus. If you're single here today, you don't have to go out and live the way that the world tells you to live. You can be satisfied in the love of the heavenly father. It is a love that is full. It is a love that is complete. It is a love that is transformational. Okay, so we're shaped by his love. Secondly, Notice that we're shaped by his righteousness, and this is truly uh, the heart of this passage. It's really the point that that John is trying to make here, and he's taking us back once again to his overall purpose, to the reason why he wrote the letter to begin with. Look at verse 7 there with me again. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Now the point there is that there are those on the scene Trying to, de- trying to deceive them. And what is the deception that they're trying to make? It's a deception about righteousness. It's a deception about how we are to live. Again, it's that, that Gnostic heresy that didn't just claim to have a secret knowledge, but they also taught that a person's earthly life really didn't matter you could uh, to pick up on his language here a person could be a child of god while living like a child of the devil but notice that for john our identity as god's children the fact that we have experienced his love it prevents it excludes that sort of living even that sort of thinking and again that makes sense right if you had a good parent, or if you are a good parent, then you teach your children. You require certain behaviors from your child, and you prohibit others, right? You may say things like, in this house, this is what we do. Or you may say, because I'm your mother and I'm your father, I, and because I said, I pro- I heard somebody say the other day, not to say, just because I said to your children, that it messes them up. You say that. You, if your kids are, you say it's because I said so. That's sufficient. Anyway, that's a side note. I'm just really trying to justify my own parenting up here right now. Um, my point is, is there are requirements. There are expectations that come with being a child. Namely, you will act like a child of your parents. If you are a sports fan, then you know it's not unusual to see... Uh, guys, when they score, or girls, uh, when they score, when they do something good, they will, they will point to the name on the back of their jersey, right? They'll do this, or they'll, the front of their jersey, they'll do this sort of thing. Now, now what's the, what are they trying to say there? They're trying to say, well, I bear this name on my back, and this is what you can expect from me, or on the front. This is what you can expect from our team. When we have this name, this is what we do. Well, friends, as children of God, we bear his name. We have been baptized into it. It is written on our hearts. And because we bear his name, there are certain requirements. Namely, in verse 29, we are to be righteous because he is righteous. It is, in fact, the evidence, John says, that we have been born of him, our righteousness. Now, look, this is important. John is not saying that to be born of him, we have to be righteous. Like as a prerequisite, this is what is required to be born of God. Uh, This is not works righteousness. This is not do enough good deeds and God will save you. Only Christ can do that. Only, we've already said it, only his merit can justify our salvation. Rather, this is the same as John, right? I mean, the same as James in James chapter 2. What he's saying is that our righteousness is a direct result, it is a necessary result of our adoption as sons and daughters. God did not save us. Christ did not die in order for us to continue on in sin. Romans chapter 6. We don't have time to turn there. That's your homework. Go read Romans chapter 6 this week, okay? Read it. Peter picks this up in quoting Leviticus. He says, we are to be holy as God is holy. That's what marks God's children. And that's what separates them from the rest of the world. Uh, Sarah Grace has been listening to this podcast in the morning on the way to school. uh, And then sometimes at night too. It's really, it's a cute little podcast. If you have small children, I would encourage you in it. I can't remember the name of it right now come find me or find Renee, but it goes through all the attributes of God, and it goes through alphabetical order, which is actually what we're doing during Megalife, too. But this week, the, the letter was H, and it was holiness. And the little boy, it's a narration, and the little boy, uh, his, his, pa- his friends were trying to peer pressure him into doing something that his mom said that he, he didn't need to do, and he didn't do it. And he comes back to his mom, and he's, he's, he feels bad. He feels like he got left out of something that was fun. She reminds him that what God calls us to is holiness. And what, what she picks up on is that little, um, is the, the reality that holiness means that we have been set apart. She says, in that moment, son, you were set apart to God. That's true for all of his people. We are to be set apart to him. And notice how John talks about it here. He says in verse 4 that sin is lawlessness. In verse 6 that no one who knows God keeps on sinning. In verse 8 that that sin is from the devil because he has been a sinner from the beginning. And in verse 9 that no one who knows him can keep on sinning. Clearly, God intends his people, whom he has called, whom he has saved, to act a certain way. And again, we should not be surprised by that. The whole Old Testament is a testimony to us of holiness, of what is required to be holy. The the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doubling down on all that we find in the Old Testament. But all of that does lead to, to an important question. Uh, what is what is God demanding here? Is is he demanding sinless perfection? Well again in Christ we, we do have sinless perfection, but, but the, the scriptures testify to us that, that what we are right now is not sinless. Paul in Hebrews, I mean Paul in Romans chapter seven, you know, he's wrestling with sin. In Hebrews, in James, and of course John here, he's acknowledged that sin is a reality. In chapter 1 and in verse 8, uh, flip back over there, it says, um, no, starting in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light, oh, I'm in the wrong part. Chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. None of us, not yet, uh, are perfect. So it's not perfection that John is calling us to here. Instead, let's notice his wording once again. It's a practice of lawlessness. It's one who keeps on perpetually over and over again sinning who is of the devil. In other words, this is willful, persistent, high-handed, unrepentant sin that John is referring to. This is that little child who, while looking directly at you, takes his toe and sticks it right over the line, right? If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen that before. It is, to, to put it another way... The spirit of the world and the spirit of the one who said to Eve, Oh, you will surely not die. You can be your own little God. John says as Christians, we flee from that mindset. We flee from sin. And out of grateful hearts for all he has done, we pursue the things that he loves. We pursue his righteousness. We pursue his law. The issue here is, is is sin a struggle in your life? That's the key word. Is it a struggle? Are we pursuing uh, with no pricked conscience the things that we want? Are we chasing after sin? For those who John has in mind here, that's the reality. There is no struggle. This is just open rebellion. Friends, as children of God, that, that is not and can no longer be our story. Because our heavenly Father who teaches and disciplines us is holy, and more importantly, and he says this here, because his spirit resides in our hearts, how can can his spirit be in us and us continue on to pursue the things that he hates? His spirit is in us, and because it is, we are shaped by his righteousness. So, shaped by love shaped by righteousness, and then finally and quickly, we are shaped by his sure faithfulness. And so having, having come through all of that, you may be feeling uneasy, you may be looking at your life, your struggles with sin and wondering, you know, do I, do I have a chance here? Am I going to make it through? Well, look at verse 29. If you know, back in chapter 2, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Go back to verse 28. And now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Again, that that little word that we heard last week, abide. Rest, persist, rely completely on him why? So that when he appears, you may have confidence. You may not shrink back at his coming. Friends, the the answer to our problem with sin today is is not to work harder. It's not to to simply act better or clean yourself up or just get your stuff together. No, the answer is to abide. The answer is to rest in him, to flee to Christ. Again, in chapter 1 and in verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive them. It is to to trust in goodness. I don't know if this is fanfare or if this is... I'm kidding. It's good. Um, It is to trust in his goodness, to trust in his transformative powers, and it is to trust in his faithfulness, Uh, his faithfulness to present us holy and righteous before the Father. One day, one day, Uh, We will be able to do what no sinful human has ever done. Not Isaiah, not Moses, not John himself. We will be able to stand before our Father, before God, with unveiled faces. And we will behold him in all of his glory. Now, right now, according to verse 2, we are not yet what we will be. But friends, take heart. Take heart in this fallen world. Take heart in your own struggle with sin and know that your heavenly father, he is faithful. One day we will be like him and know that does not mean that we're going to be little gods. All of us have our own little worlds. It's not that. What it means is that we're going to be like him without sin. We're going to be like him without weakness, without imperfection. We're going to be like him completely full of his Holy Spirit. He who has chosen us, he who has forgiven us, he who has made us heirs and he who has given us his righteousness. He is faithful. He he will not fail to present us on that day as little children. And so I say to you today, little children. Children of God, hope in your heavenly Father and pursue with a single-minded focus after him as we pray together. Father God, we we are so thankful uh, for your love lavished upon us, uh, a love that we have uh, experienced in and through Christ, uh, our elder brother, uh, and a love that now makes us children of God. Lord, write that truth on our hearts. May we rest in his love for us. Uh, May we live as children of our Heavenly Father. And may we hope in what he will surely do. Uh, Lord, just watch over us. Uh, Give us that, that sweet assurance, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.